From the trails to the road to the track, if it's running, you'll find it right here on Trail Tales ARP. Run wild. Hello, everybody in podcast land. Welcome to Trail Tales ARP, a running podcast. I am your host, Sean Sobon, and this is season four, episode 21 of Trail Tales ARP. And I have a wonderful guest with me today, William Pullen. And William is dubbed the running psychotherapist. He is coming to us from London, United Kingdom today. William, welcome to the show. And I'm just going to start off with the wonderful phrase that I use all the time. And I think it's been on many t-shirts and it says something like running because it's cheaper than therapy, but you're a combination of the two. So first off, welcome to the show and thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. Uh, yeah, I, in in a sense, I'm bringing I'm bringing the maximum amount of curing that can possibly happen in in the running moment. In theory, I mean, obviously, that's not quite how it works necessarily. Yeah, absolutely. So let me ask you, William. Um, you've been a you've been a psychotherapist for ten years now. How long have you been a runner? What started first for you? Uh, the running started first. So. When I was about 39, so actually I sort of started training maybe 12 years ago or something, I didn't anyway, I was about 39 and um, I broke up with my girlfriend, went into massive depression, um, sort of lost my my mind a little bit and um, and I knew that taking up running, which I'd never done before really, although I did, had, had done exercise before in my life, but I knew getting out and running would be good for me and I found a friend who felt the same way and also needed to get out, as an American friend of mine who was going through a divorce. So I took up running, took up psychotherapy, took up just about anything to try and you know get me out of this horrible rut I was in. I knew that I knew enough about depression to know that it's uh, you know it, it it it's a disease and and changes the way you look at things and tells you things that aren't true. And so I knew enough to disregard what it was telling me, and I knew I needed to do some things. Anyway, I did some things, got into therapy, and um, I noticed when I was running with my friend or starting to run because both of us are out of shape and terrible lifestyle choices, um, 50 meters and 100 meters, 150 meters, and we would talk as we walked and, and ran. But I noticed that the therapy that I was doing um, as, a, as a client with my therapist, I would discuss that with my friend. He would discuss his impending divorce. And there was something about being moving side by side that made, and particularly for men, I think, much easier to talk about uh, what's going on than if you're facing off to each other and in a static situation. I don't. When you're side by side, there's a there's a, a sense of togetherness, a sense of getting somewhere. A sense, you're contained by the movement. Ten percent of your of the attention that normally is spent worrying about what you look like or whether you sound manly enough or whether you're humiliating yourself as you talk about your feelings. That piece is busy looking at trees so that you don't run into them. So it kind of works. So I'll go into all the reasons why I think it works, but but that's what I noticed. And from there, I trained to become a psychotherapist and sort of cherry-picked out what I thought were the best elements out of my training to create what I call dynamic running therapy. That is um, a wonderful background story. I mean, not, not the depression or anything, but just how it's evolved to where you found running was was helping you mentally and both physically and then you were able to connect the dots and you pursued a career in psychotherapy and then you've blended the two things together to really maximize the benefit of of both things i think that's absolutely wonderful um it's almost i would consider that a bulletproof approach 
um, to kind of dealing with things. Um, just to add to your point, you know, you make a very good point where, especially for men, um, communicating while running is probably a lot easier and more natural than squaring off face to face and talking about emotions and feelings. Um, you know, it's just one of those things. I think maybe part of that might be, and let me know if you agree or not, is, is when you're running side by side and you may not be in the best shape, you're almost in a, in a natural position of vulnerability because, you know, physically you're tiring yourself out. You may be hurting a little bit and, and being uncomfortable and that might make it a little bit easier to know that you're both going through that same thing to be able to kind of share, share your feelings and what you're going yeah, through. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think so. Or, and although, you know, I mean, I, you'll know this, there are people you run with some people, you, I, I'm a, I'm a talker. I love to talk. And, and I mean, I don't care. I don't need to talk. I like to listen as well, but I like somebody to be talking when I'm running. It's either me or the other person. Um, but there are people, there are some people you run well with and some people you don't. And I've never managed to crack what that chemistry is really all about, but I have noticed that. And I think it's aligned that I suspect that the same people that you don't feel that, that running with them feels like a bit of a struggle. I suspect they're the same people that you would be less inclined to open up to. Maybe it's because you feel that you're being judged by them in some way or they're not in a position to hear you. Maybe they don't want to hear you. Maybe you're right in thinking that this is not their kind of chat, or maybe you're right in thinking they may judge you in some way that you don't think is useful. Um, yeah, something like that. Yeah, I, th I think that absolutely makes sense. Absolutely. So, I mean, you when you run, do you do you like to talk or no? Well, <laughs> it depends if I'm running with somebody, obviously. But you know, there are times I've even talked to myself on runs. But yeah, if I have if I have a companion along with me, uh, we definitely run at a conversational pace. And you know, sometimes the conversations are are deep, and sometimes we just you know they just keep them superficial, and we talk about anything really, you know. But uh, yeah, certainly, certainly talk when I'm when I'm running with somebody else. Um, you know, I run I run for for health. I run for the enjoyment of it. Um, I don't particularly join many races or compete too much. I mean, that would be a different story. Um, you know, if I'm if I'm out there and I have a specific goal in mind with what I want to achieve on that 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 run, I'll likely want to go by myself just so I don't have. Um, somebody with to talk to or slow me down because I'm just focused on, yeah. on, on the goal for the run. But yeah, generally running and talking go hand in hand for me as well. So you probably know the phrase movement is medicine. You've heard that one, I'm sure. Yes, absolutely. Movement is medicine. And a previous guest of mine, uh, David Kempston from uh, Minnesota uh, has a saying, motion is lotion, which is also good as well. <laughs> well, yeah, I hope we're still talking about the same thing, but um, yeah. No, I mean, I, for me, that's what it's about. It's just, it's about that camaraderie. you this the therapy, the therapy piece. I mean, because they're one and the same. The the running piece and the therapy piece are very similar. Because when you run with somebody, um, and you're talking to them, you feel a closeness to them, don't you? You feel like you're involved in something together. You're, uh, as you said, you're quite vulnerable because you may not be able to keep up. You're out doing something where you're being measured by your physicality. Your physicality may let you down or may appear strange to other people. It's a, quite a genuine thing to do. There's not a lot of hiding when you're, you know, when you're out running with somebody. Um, you're going to be seen. Um, and I think that creates a sort of 
uh, a sensation of trust in therapy. We call it the therapeutic alliance. And research shows that of all the kinds of therapy you can have, psychodynamic, um, CBT, existential, humanistic, whichever choice you want to go down, the, the, the change agent uh, actually is not the approach that you, that you pick, but it's actually the quality of the relationship with your therapist is much more important. And so you see, I think that's one of the things that running, and, and running therapy is not for everybody. Obviously, there are various limitations and ideas that people have. But if you can run with them and they do like it, I believe it accelerates the therapeutic alliance. And I believe that accelerates trust and that accelerates um, healing. Yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, there, there's so much value in that. And um, let me ask you, with, with your clients or patients, um, do you run with the majority of them? Do they come to you as runners? Do they know what your program's all about? So I've got two, I work just as a regular office-based psychotherapist, and then I work as a running psychotherapist. People tend to track me down one way or the other. So, you know, um, but yeah, there are no people who are sort of having breakdowns, thinking to themselves, you know, I know what I'll do. I feel like hell. Um, I'm ready to, you know, end everything. What I'll do is I'll, I'll try and find somebody uh, who's a running therapist and I'll I'll, I'll add I'll add my troubles by by trying to become a runner and then have a breakdown in public in front of all of my colleagues and everything else. So no, they're a self self selecting bunch, Sean. They they just um, they just say you know um, I'm a runner. I'd like to give this a go. It, it helps because you know that they have some sense of um, of of how running works, and and it's really important for me. Uh, to, to really drive home the point to people that it, this is not this is not um, physical exercise. We're not here to train you to become a faster runner. Mm. We're only using the running in as much as it helps to free up um, conversation and to create a sense of momentum and change and growth. Um, that's it. And so every session, and each session is 50 minutes long and it's open-ended. Each session is completely dictated by the client. So I... Because you can imagine, if they're trying to follow me, I may be too fast to run out. I might want to run the whole session. They didn't come here to train. So I say to them, listen, you will decide. One of the great things about this kind of therapy versus office-based therapy is you will be in the driving seat more than I am, actually. And you will see me take every step you take. I will be forced to take every step you take. And I don't talk about force like that. But the point is, is that it gives them a sense of agency. Um, and, and I think that's very important. Yeah, I would agree with you on that 100%. Um, you know, from, from a personal perspective, uh, many years ago, I had gone through a divorce and, you know, it felt like the world was crashing down around me and I had some very dark moments. And um, that was my first kind of foray into running. Um, I found for myself, it was, it was a way to feel freedom, at least. I knew that was that was the one thing that I could control that nobody could take away from me. And um, it was very helpful. And um, I found that, you know, during my runs, I would just kind of sometimes you would just kind of phase out and not remember the last 20 minutes of the run. But there was always thoughts going on in the back of your mind, just kind of processing everything, all the emotions and everything. And it was it was really my only outlet during that time in my life. And it really helped carry me through. 
And then, um, you know, I'm remarried now 10 years and, um, you know, I've, I've been running again. I kind of got into running, um, a year after my marriage just to kind of get healthy again. But, uh, it's definitely been something that I use, um, for my mental health as well, because as we spoke off camera earlier, I'm a paramedic and I've been doing that for 18 years. And, you know, that career comes with, with, you know, being exposed to a lot of traumatic things and incidents and, and a lot of high emotions. And it can, it can take a toll on you at times. And running has been a great way to cope. Um, it's much healthier than turning to alcohol or substances or anything like that. And, you know, I would say there are times where I've, I've gone out for a run because I'm not feeling myself and I'm very in tune with my with my, I guess, with my emotions and with my, with my mental state to know when I'm, I'm not where I should be. And I have a wonderful wife who's also a paramedic and she's, she's easily there to, you know, help me point that out as well. Like Johnny and I yourself, whatever. And, um, but there are times where running hasn't been enough for me. And I've, you know, I've, I've, I've reached out to therapy and done that. I've never, I've never had the, the pleasure of having a running therapist though. That would be pretty wonderful. But, um, in those instances, for people who are who are using running as a coping mechanism as well, and and the runs just aren't doing that. Have you had experience with that with yourself or with other people? And what kind of things would you recommend in those cases? Uh, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm so pleased you brought that up. Um, there are so many people who do have those T-shirts. Running is my therapy, and the harder they hurt, the harder they run. And it is a great coping mechanism. You know, we have all sorts of coping and defense mechanisms. It's a fantastic one. Um, however, you know, sometimes you it's worth just stopping coping and <clears throat> actually digging down and finding out what's really happening. Um, there's no reason to cope your way through something for a decade, do you know what I mean? Um, you know, cope while you have to, and then create some space. <clears throat> Excuse me, create some space, and then, what I would say is, is you know, if, if there are emotional problems, go into therapy, find the right kind of therapy. Um, I would say probably not running therapy. If you're a runner, you know, you've done all the running. Well, you've been, you know, it's probably going to be distracting. Sit down, try something else. Don't get lured back into that mindset. It might be easier to start off fresh. Um, but yeah, to any one of your listeners who's listening right now and, and, and you know, who feels like, Life is good, but it's not as good as it could be. And it's been that way for quite a long time. And I'm not talking about the pandemic. I'm talking, obviously, about other things. Um, and I could be talking about the pandemic uh, because there's lots of therapy happening on Zoom right now. Mm -hmm. um, so whatever it is, um, you know, just consider uh, looking at it seriously. You know, uh, we can do better than cope. Yeah, absolutely. Um it, it's very important, I think, for people who are listening to this is is really have an honest assessment of where you're at right now. And, you know, with social media out there, it's all sunshine and rainbows for people when they're posting yeah. and behind those posts and those those great runs, there could be there could be some suffering and stuff like that. And it's important to to have that assessment and talk to somebody, whether it's a spouse, whether it's a friend, whether you have, you know, um, access through an employer to, to get some therapy or some counseling. Um, you know, don't, don't worry about the stigma or, or there's no shame in no. It. it. Like you said earlier, it is, it, it's a medical condition, just like having high cholesterol or high blood pressure. 
And uh, it, it's so important to to address those issues and tackle them before, like you said, they get out of hand and you find yourself, you know, coping unsuccessfully for 10 years. Yeah, whatever it may be. It may not be depression. It might be anxiety. It might not be anxiety. It might be the stress of going through a divorce and noticing that you're not very good at doing divorce and that either you feel like your partner is crushing you and that you, you know, now you feel powerless and you're on the verge of depression, or maybe you notice that you're crushing her, um, you know, whichever, whatever it is, making that assessment's a tough one though, right? Particularly for us runners, because, you know, you sort of, we all have good days or bad days, good weeks, bad weeks. Mm-hmm. And you get up and you may, maybe it's a bad week, maybe it's the end of a bad week and you tell yourself, yeah, you know, I need to pull my socks up here, run a little bit faster today, get this together. And, um, and you make time for that run and you go out for that run, you push yourself hard and for a moment you feel great again. You're just like, yeah, I've got this. And you forget all about the, you know, the five days of misery that you've been through where you've been feeling, you know, um, powerless and, and 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 lost and full of despair and for a moment you feel fine and, and and you know you're counting all your calories you're counting your time everything's being logged you're like yeah i'm really practicing fantastic self-care here I've, i'm nailing this and then you crash again at some point or, or you don't but for those people who do for those people who are who, who are going through a period for however long but a significant enough period where they are seesawing up and down like that um there's a better way of doing it, you know, and there's too many of us, I forget the term for it now, maybe you know, it, um, where you're counting all of your stats and you're obsessed by, by uh, you know, metrics for your running metrics, your weight. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure of the term off the top of my head, but I absolutely know what you mean. It's, it's almost like you use it as a distraction. Yeah, from, from dealing with with what's actually going on in front of you. Well, it's like people who go to the gym, right? You go to the gym, you start to get toned, you start looking at yourself in the mirror in the gym, and you start to tell yourself that you know that that, and then you start to spend more. It starts one hour a week, then it's two hours a week, three hours a week, five hours a week. Yeah, and soon you soon you don't have any friends left, you know, and yeah. you you tell yourself that because you're leaner than you were or put on some muscle, whatever it is, you tell yourself that you know you're living the dream. But actually, you start to become quite miserable. And so, yeah, we need community and we need to take care of ourselves with 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 intelligence. And um, just running your face off and running down to the gym uh, is not really going to sort everything out every single day. Absolutely. There's, there's a point where you can make um, something that is seemingly healthy become unhealthy you can have too much of a good thing if you will and it's yeah. actually it's actually quite funny because i've you know i would say i've had periods where i've kind of struggled with that where i needed to go out and run and if i didn't my mood would be affected and and you know i'd, I'd be a miserable sod all day long and my wife would say like no you have to take a break today do something else because you're you're becoming obsessed with it so she's she's been great for kind of pulling me back because I think just by my very nature, I'm, I'm easily committed to going like a hundred percent into something. And then I kind of let other things go by the wayside, but my wife's very good partner to keep me in check with those things. And when she notices um, those patterns, um, she'll point them out. But I think, you know, after 10 years of marriage, um, I've become quite well-trained. So I'm good at keeping a balance with everything right now. So 
Hey Trail Tailors, if you have a running story that you'd like to share with our tribe, please reach out to me. You can email me at trailtalesarp at gmail.com or go to our website, trailtalesarp.com and fill out a guest intake form. And if you're the type of person that's a little bit on the shy side, just send me an email or a message and I'll read it on the show for you. That's not a problem. Love to hear from you guys. Run wild. So you, you wanted to discuss making peace with your inner critic and I think we can all identify uh, with that topic. We all have that little nagging voice in our head that wants to tell us, you know, we may not necessarily be good enough or, you know, you still have more weight to lose or, you know, you're not as lean as you could be or, you know, don't go out and run. What's the point? You've already fallen off and, you know, you've overeaten on a certain day. There's no point now. All hope is lost. So let's, let's get into that a little bit. So it, I, I, my book, um, I wrote a book on, on running called Run For Your Life in, in America, Running With Mindfulness. Well, as I was writing it, I found that talking about the, the inner critic, uh, not necessarily the running inner critic, but, but the inner critic it shows up when we're running. It shows up all day long anyway, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, and I found myself wanting to, I wanted the book to provide therapy to people. You know, I wanted people to, to be able to take away some concrete things from it. And so I felt that the inner critic, noticing the way that you talk to yourself, um, noticing the tone, noticing the repetitiveness of it, um, and then finding ways to interrupt that, I felt was a really good way to start to basically approach book-based therapy. Um, And it's my personal belief that, you know, there are many different, if you're, you know, if you're psychodynamic, if you're Freudian, you sort of believe that, you know, we've got to uncover whatever's repressed from your childhood and work out, you know, and, and then when we do that, the inner critic will go to bed and, 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 and be peaceful. And, and there is some truth to that. Uh, if you're CBT, uh, you know, the cognitive bit will be about what the thoughts that you're having, the behavioral bit will be about the, the behaviors that you're involved in. All of those will speak to your inner, inner critic as well. Um, but the one I think I like the most is um, is uh, compassion and acceptance therapy, which I am not a trained compassion and acceptance therapist. But as I was writing this book, I kept on using the words compassion and acceptance, and I realized that actually I'm. So in terms of in terms of speaking to that inner critic, I think with compassion and acceptance therapy, it's sort of it's 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 a two handed thing, I think. As I understand it, you are on the one hand, you are accepting what can be accepted and what's useful. In other words, you will always be critical of yourself and others. You can't get rid of all of it. So why not begin by just saying, look, a certain amount is okay. It's probably even desirable for me and others. So let me get away from this childish need to completely end the inner critic, because that's probably making the inner critic pretty pissed off, telling him that he can't even show up at all. And now he's shown up twice a time. He's banging on the door. He's like, you're an asshole. Why would you think you could get rid of me completely? What makes you so special? You know, so forth. So so there's that bit. Um, and then there's a letting go bit. So there's a bit where you 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 work through the idea. So whatever thought you're having as you're running along about your limitations, about who you are, about what you're capable of, um, you look at that chat and you ask yourself, you know, what part of this is useful? Um, what part of it's unavoidable? 
And then what part can I let go? Um, and then somewhere in that balance, hopefully, you end up with a more comfortable relationship with your inner critic. That's what you're looking for. If you push back against the inner critic, the inner critic pushes back against you. you and, and often the inner critic is it's a wound from childhood. So it's really just some little, it's a little you inside that you're ignoring because somebody ignored him when he was young or told him to shut up or told him what he said wasn't valuable or at some point he got shamed or something. And, and now you don't listen to him properly, you know, and you're not comfortable with. And so the inner critic, this is how I understand it. The inner critic, if you don't listen to what he has to say or she has to say, if you don't give it space, and, and quite often what it has to say is a feeling. It's trying to say, listen, make space for this feeling. Just slow down. Sit with me for two minutes and dare to experience the pain that I'm having. And there's a little boy or girl in there just wanting you to just hold their hand. And if you won't do that, then the next time the inner, inner critic talks to you, it's much less friendly. And it will continue being more and more aggressive, more and more, because you are ignoring it. It's a little boy doing whatever he can, like little children. What do they do when they get ignored? They start throwing shit at the walls. <laughs> you know? and, and soon you, you regret ignoring them. Yeah, that's uh, that's very true. I think um, a big a big part of that, I guess, is the ability to, to just have to slow down and, like you said, spend some time with it, as uncomfortable as it may be, and um, and listen. And I think that's that's something that's much easier said than done because you know, if it was if it was easy to do, we would none of us would have to go to therapy <laughs> or to talk to anybody about it. You know, so. Um, but it's a muscle, isn't it? It's a muscle that you can get better at. And you can get better. You, you, you know, like I said, that if you start to listen to it earlier on, don't wait till the end of the week. Don't ignore it all week. Mm -hmm. We all know what that's like when you put off work, when you put off some emotional chat that you've been forced out. It's so much worse by the end of all that putting it off. Just yeah. sit down with it and just go, oh, God, okay. So, you know, how it's often, often these things are much less painful when you deal with them immediately than than you think they will be by the time you've ignored them for a week yeah because even even when you address them a week later the painful bit is not the original phone call you're having with whoever it's reasonably painful but the real pain came from the five days of anxiety you visited on yourself by putting this off that's much more painful probably than the phone call yeah it's it's almost like you you begin to associate those feelings of anxiety or, or shame or whatever they may be with that difficult conversation you have to have with your inner critic. But let me ask you, William, because it's very intriguing. Um, what does it look like to you when somebody recognizes that they need to have that conversation with that inner critic or listen to that inner critic? How, how does one go about doing that? Are there techniques or strategies? Is it something somebody can do on their own or do they need to see a therapist like yourself to kind of learn how to do that? I mean, there are, <clears throat> there are books you can, you can buy on it. There are, you can meditate. I mean, everything, there are all sorts of different ways. You can try and go to church. You could join a choir. You could uh, go into service and help other people become a paramedic. You might find that you might find that doing something useful with your life uh, is actually what the inner critic's been asking you to do all this time. There may be a reason why the inner critic hates you because 
you hate yourself too because you're doing a job you don't value in a city you don't like with people you don't like and you're not doing anything about changing that so it could be anything is my answer but um you know therapy is 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 a good place to start uh, if you if you if you don't have any other ideas but i never encourage people to go into therapy really because it's very expensive and takes a long time so wait until you've got real problems and and you've got the time and the energy and the focus and the drive because you have to give it your all in therapy you know there's no point showing up there half showing up and half telling people you've got to put the whole whole uh, story on the plate and the faster you do that the the faster you're going to be out of there the faster yeah. the cure the more money's left in your pocket yeah i and i can't agree with you more uh william i you know in my career i often come across people with um with mental health issues or addiction problems and i often tell them i, I you know i have a short time with these people maybe an hour at most and you know i usually get to them when they are in crisis okay. and and you know my conversations with them usually end up and I, and i tell them i said look like we can get you access to all of the resources that are available but it has to start with you if you're not ready to you know kick your opiate habit or to quit drinking or to deal with whatever issues you're going through if you're not ready all the resources in the world aren't going to be able to help you you know and and i often encourage them to kind of you know yeah. pick themselves up and 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 find strength from wherever they can get it like you said whether it's it's faith whether it's you know just being considering themselves mentally tough whatever it may be um to try to do that and you know i always applaud them for calling out because i tell them like, that's that's the first sign that you know something inside of you is yeah. reaching out for that help and and you're on the way keep going with that you know yeah and it's fine you know if you're if you're one of those people it's fine not to be 100% sure you're ready to give up whatever it is you think you need to give up right now because if you could do that without therapy and without everybody's help you wouldn't be going into therapy exactly but you do need to be you know you do need to have a sense of some conviction within yourself and then you ask for help for the last part of the journey and that's part of the cute that's part of the curing bit is learning how to accept help learning what help looks like and then and then actually doing it and we need people to hold our hands sometimes you know um so yeah yeah absolutely there's there's the you know when it comes to addiction and stuff like that um there's that there's the physical aspect of it where where you are dependent on it physically you have no control over that it's your body chemistry your physiology where where you desire a substance and it has control over you or it takes hold of you once you can kind of make that decision where you don't want to have that holding over you anymore um and you be, are able to get clean then you have to really deal with the mental aspect of it and yeah. and the thought processes and the patterns that you have right because often at times you see you hear stories of people who who are clean and then you know they come up upon some sort of stressor and then they fall back into that thought pattern and they go back into their old habits and they're they're starting over again if you will right and i i guess the same the same can be said for even just you know without the substances um you know in a critic thought patterns um being very negative towards yourself um you know you can like you said you can have a great week your diet's good your running's good you're feeling great but you're not dealing with that issue and then you may be cruising along and all of a sudden you hit a bump in the road and you have no coping you have no coping mechanism and all of a sudden you're down in that dark dark headspace again 
Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's a, it's a tough, it's a tough thing. There's a lot of commonalities in it, but, uh, depending, you know, whether there's, um, mental issues, whether there's substance abuse or what have you, there's, I find that there's a, there's a lot of similarities, just different pieces of the puzzle, if you will. Um, Let's let's talk a little bit about your book. I, I I think I remember seeing on your information that you did write a book. So remind us of the title again and where we can find it and kind of how how you came to write that book. So it's on Amazon in the UK. It's called um, uh, Run for Your Life in uh, the states. It's running with mindfulness. The book is um the book has this mindfulness piece in it, as does my app, by the way, which is called the same thing: Dynamic Running Therapy for Apple. Um, so it has mindfulness, mindful walking, mindful running, it has meditation. And then the app and the book um, have programs for anxiety and depression. The book's got even more than that in it. Um, but, you, but basically, it, I give you questions. I talk to you about anxiety and give you questions uh, while you run, which you record into the app, or if you're reading the book, what you write in the book when you come back from the run um, to explore. You hold that question uh, with you as you're running, and hopefully the, you sort of run into the question and, 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 and learn stuff about yourself while layering this sense of progress on top of the inquiry so that you're not, now not just a person who experiences anxiety or even can notice their anxiety, but on top of that actually doing something, you know, to address it, which I think is a, 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 a useful part of it. That's that's how uh, the book works and the app works. How did I get around to doing it? You know, I, I was lucky. I had a friend who was an agent, uh, a, a literature book agent, and uh, I, I had this idea, and um, and I went to her, and she said, I, I love it. That sounds like a great book idea. Um, let's see if we can get any publishers interested. Penguin were interested. It's in 13 countries now, so it's done all right. Oh, that's amazing. I, I love the fact that it's it's an interactive book and, and you know it gives you kind of guidance and you can incorporate it with your running. Um, is the app uh, independent of the book or do you, can you use both of them together? How does that work? The uh, No, it's completely independent. Okay. As I said, it's got similarities, but no, it's independent. Awesome. That's great. Um, so 13 different countries and it's uh, run for your life in the UK and running with mindfulness in the United States. And I'm assuming it's available in Canada as well. Same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and Amazon and all good bookstores, of course, and bad bookstores, I hope. <laughs> Hopefully all bookstores. Eh? <laughs> that's amazing. That's that's very interesting. Now, is, is this program uh, with the app and... Um, with the book itself, is this something you would recommend um, runners do independently, or let's say they have a close friend who's also struggling with whatever issues? Is this something where they could kind of collaborate together, kind of have their own independent journeys, but kind of meet up together and talk about things as well? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I'm a huge believer in in in, in support and doing things together. So, yeah, find somebody else, but. Um, you know, you don't even have to be dealing with the same problem. One of you could be anxious, one of you could be depressed, and then listening to how the other person's journey is going. Um, but, you know, obviously be safe. Um, make sure it's somebody you trust. Make sure it's somebody you trust with your secrets, with your vulnerability, with your, um, you know, uh, body, 
um, way out in the woods if you're running with them. <laughs> um, and so forth. Yeah, I think I think that's that's a great point because um, it could be a really big setback if you kind of just share, you know, your your most vulnerable thoughts and emotions with somebody and they go and and they don't treat that respectfully or with care, uh, you can end up getting really hurt. And it almost reminds sorry, you can no, 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 go what all I was gonna say was it just reminds me of a joke where you know two people are going out in the woods and one person knows where they're going and the other person says, you know, it's getting kind of dark and I'm getting kind of scared. And the other person says, well, how do you think I feel? I'm leaving by myself. Yeah, I was going to say Brené Brown. I can barely have a conversation without including her in it. But she talks about, of course, vulnerability, vulnerability, hangovers. She talks about sort of emotional dumping. So, yeah, you don't want to find yourself with somebody who doesn't, emote in a way that's um, uh, uh, complementary to the way you emote. If you experience them as dumping, which is, you know, is, is not, it's not a nice feeling. Um, uh, yeah, it's going to be really important that it's a, that it's a good fit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, Brene Brown, yeah. Um, my wife introduced me to, to her work and uh, yeah, she's great to listen to as well. 100%. She's got a lot to teach us men, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We are we are certainly a piece of work. <laughs> Although yeah, we are a piece of work, and yet, and 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 yet, when you listen to Brené talk about him, well, you know that's part of her magic. That's how honest she is and bringing up stories from her own life. And that story she has about swimming across the lake with her husband, and halfway across the lake, she decides to open up and tell him how much she cares for him. He doesn't say anything again. Three quarters away, I gave. The other, finally, they arrive, and she says, "You know, I have to tell you. You know, I'm going to be very vulnerable here, but I have to tell. I'm really hurt by the fact that I'm telling all this stuff about how much you mean to me." And he says, "You know, will you just shut up? I was having a panic attack. <laughs> I thought I was going to die, Crowley, and you wouldn't shut up." <laughs> um, you know. So you know. We've all, we're all, uh, we're all a burden to ourselves and to each other and to the opposite sex. And um, so hopefully in between all of the um, stress, uh, there are enough laughs. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, William, let's, let me ask you, we're going to do some rapid fire questions here for you related to running. If you want to play a little game, uh, no, no need to study here, but um, first thing I'll ask you, um, favorite place to run road or trail? Park. Park run, okay. A little bit of both. Yeah. Um, what shoes are you running in currently? Asics. I'm not even sure what model they are. Okay, are you, are you um, loyal to that brand or do you just try different they brands? Hired, no, Adidas hired me to do some work. They gave me some shoes I wore there for a bit and then Asics hired me and they gave me some shoes. That's no way. Anybody wants to hire me, I'll wear your shoes. Wonderful. <laughs> Favorite color for shoes? Um, red. And red. Black. I hear yeah. red makes you go faster. I think. Yeah. Uh, what do you have a favorite distance you like to run? I did. I did four miles four times last between Monday and Friday last week. Yeah, an easy four miles. That's my that's my distance. Okay. And uh, what's the farthest distance you've run to date? Uh, one marathon, Paris, ten years ago. Hard work. <laughs> Will you ever run another marathon? No, I mean, I, I would, but my knees just won't, they won't do it. That's why it was such hard work the first time. They sort of locked up and I don't have marathon knees. I have half marathon knees. I've done quite a few halves, but, but marathon, no. 
Wonderful. And um, what's your favorite post long run food? Do you have like a, a favorite kind of cheat food that you like to eat? Oh, do you know, strangely, uh, what I found after half marathons and marathons is, is those bananas they hand out are just bloody good. I mean, about, I've generally speaking, I'm not that crazy about it, but a banana's nice. What's not to like about a banana? But after a run, it becomes something fantastic. I think it's because your body is telling you, look, this is what you need, potassium, fruit, whatever. Yeah, bananas are great. I consider them uh, nature's candy bar. Uh, yeah. Real quick, a uh, real uh, nice recipe I found um, for pancakes, actually. Um, you take one banana and you have two eggs and you mush it all up and then put it into the thing and you can make a nice pancake out of it and maybe add a little bit of vanilla for flavor. You don't even need any syrup and it's a nice, nice kind of protein, proteiny sweet kind of breakfast to have. Interesting. Yeah. You just got to cook them a little bit longer than normal and uh, flip them, but uh, they're great. Listen, William, it's been great uh, having you on the show. I have learned quite a bit um, about, you know, running and and uh, psychotherapy and how the two kind of complement each other. Um, I'm certainly going to check out your book for myself because I think it's something that uh, I can utilize this year. And I would definitely recommend it to anybody else out there, especially with pandemic lockdowns going on and, and mental health issues on the rise. Um, do a quick self-assessment of yourself and uh, buy William's book or check out his app and uh, incorporate that into your running. You're going to be running anyways if you're listening to this show, so may as well uh, do a mental health checkup as well. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you very much, William. I'm going to leave you with my uh, local, or not my local, I guess it is a local, but with my catchphrase I leave with all my audience members and with all my guests, and that is to run wild, my friend. <laughs> I like it. I will run wild. Trail Tales ERP now has a brand new YouTube channel. You can head over there through our website and check out all our latest videos. And please don't forget to subscribe. If you could also leave us a review on wherever you get our podcast from, that would be greatly appreciated. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at trail underscore tales underscore ARP. And you can also join our Strava running group at Trail Tales ARP. Thank you so much for your continued support. Run wild.